Section 7 of By the Marshes of Minas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Prajakta. By the Marshes of Minas by Sir Charles G. D. Roberts. Brown Witch and Black Abbey. The warm dusk of the loft smelt pleasantly of dried sage, marjoram and other herbs which hung in bunches from the roof. From three chinks in the southeast gable streamed three long streaks of yellow light wherein the dust moods danced merrily. The place had an air of security and peace. I could not bring myself to believe that my precious life was in any very real peril and of a priest too. Nevertheless, I moved softly as a cat, for was not the priest none other than the notorious Black Abbey, Lagane, whose treacheries we in Halifax had caused through, and had not Madame been very positive that my scalp was in instant demand, I crept across the light planks till I reached a spot nearly over the door, well under the eaves. There I lay down and noted with satisfaction that I was so hidden by a pile of yellow squashes that if one should thrust his head curiously above the trapdoor, the loft would appear quite untenanted. In the flooring whereon I stretched myself, there were several knot holes by means of which I could command a fairish view of the room below. I could see the fire flickering lazily under the pot which hung in the wide dirty fireplace. I could see the heavy, well-scrubbed and whitened table with its wooden platter of barley cakes and its bowl yet half full of the new milk which my haste had not left me chance to finish. I wanted the milk for I was thirsty from my long tramp over the Pisiquit trail and I roundly cursed the interrupter of my meal. Then light steps on the sanded floor diverted my thoughts from the bowl of milk and Madame's slender figure came into my restricted line of vision. My eyes rested upon her with a keen interest as she busied herself deftly over household affairs. How small were her feet! How small, though brown with sun and somewhat toil-hardened, were those two nimble hands! I admired the fine poise of her head with the heavy hair, low over the ears, hair of the darkest brown, shot with ruddy color where the sunshine caught in it. Her dress was of the light grayish, Acadian homespun linen and a bodice of dull dark blue fitted her vest and shoulders trimly. Her sleeves were rolled up to the elbows, displaying brown arms very slim and shapely. I wish she should look up, that I might see again her amazingly large dark eyes, black you might say, save for the towny fire in them. In our raw little town of Halifax, at this time, there were few women and none to make a man's head turn twice, except maybe two or three of the younger officers' wives. I thought how this Acadian beauty would be admired in Halifax and I said to myself, she is surely not a woman of the habitant class. She seems city-born and not ungently bred, and I will wager there is blood in those fine veins that does not all derive from Jack's bono. 
in this reverie i grew so interested that for the moment i forgot my situation the hard planks hurt me and i changed my posture with a portentous creaking on the instant the heavy table below was drawn sharply over the floor clocking my noise i had but time to marvel at her quickness of resource when a shadow darkened the open doorway and a harsh masterful voice demanded daughter has the englishman passed this way yes father lagane came her respectful and ready answer will you not honor me by resting here a little how long since asked the curt voice an hour perhaps or less missia abe was the reply a trace of coldness coming into madame's tones the visitor noted the change he was not at the moment ready to offend he wanted willing and full information he stepped inside and stood near the table so that i could note his spare hardy dark robed figure the indomitable spirit that spoke in every moment but his face i could not see pardon me my daughter he said more graciously i am in haste to catch this fellow the fool is crossing me on this errand it is necessary he should be removed for a lesson to the other fools at halifax did you talk with him whether was he bound yes father said madame very graciously he was courteous and talked freely during the few minutes that he paused here he said he had come to get cattle from the grand prix farmers for the garrison at halifax and to forbid the sending of our cattle to loisburg he was going straight to masiha de lamori whom he counted upon to further his errand the visitor stepped quickly back to the door and gave a guttural call at once i heard the furtive confused approach of moccasined feet and with both hands grasped the pistols in my belt there were a few sharp orders given in the micmac tongue which i did not understand then i heard a measured loping as a band set out upon the run down the road towards grand free i could not see of course and i was troubled to know whether he had sent all his savage followers or was keeping a reserve at hand on this point i might have trusted the ready wit of my hostess as the black abbe turned again into the room and seated himself beside the table just where i had been sitting so few minutes before madame asked him in a tone of irrelevant banter why do you send six of your 12 red lambs messia be to capture one lonely englishman is he then so redoubtable a warrior black abbe did not seem annoyed at the question i know not of his prowess my daughter said he but he is an englishman and so liable to be blundering and brave it is well to be on the safe side when dealing with him six are none too many i pray you bring me some milk and i saw him break a piece of the fresh barley cake the milk she fetched at once in a brown pitcher and poured it for him into the pewter mug and why have you kept the other six indians here with you she asked they make me nervous i don't like them he laughed cynically again it is well to be on the safe side said he i never know when i may need them these are pregnant times 
Since when have you grown nervous, Madam Elafleur? Can you ask that, Father Lagarne? She rejoined coldly. Said he, with careless impatience, that husband of yours can have been no great loss to you, and he has been dead these two years. Don't reproach me, Madame Lafleur. You never loved him. A thief and disgraced. He came here from Quebec. True, I never loved him, but I kept a good home for him, and he made a home for me. She answered very coldly. And here, where he was not known. He might have recovered something of what he had lost, but you twisted him around your finger and made him your tool. Ah, he was pitifully weak, but it is lonely living here. Can you reproach me if I grow nervous? Poor creature, though he was, I owe the English a grudge for his death. I tried every knot hole within reach to get a glimpse of Lagarne's face, but in vain. I could see only his black-frocked knees and a heavily shod feet. He laughed meaningly. "Oh, yes, my daughter," he said. "You owe this English a grudge, but this fellow is comely. I have seen him, and you say he is very courteous. Perhaps you think this English owe you a new husband." I grew hot with rage at the coarseness of it. And I saw Madame's beautiful face flush dusky crimson under its clear tan. She drew herself up haughtily. How dare you, sir, insult me? You take advantage of my unprotectedness. What excuse have I given you for such an insinuation? Oh, he answered, his voice grown soft and sneering. Though he is an enemy and on an errand. Hostile to your people, you have entertained him here at your table. Here is the bread of which he has been eating. Here is the bowl of milk from which he drank. But father, she protested, growing suddenly anxious and persuasive. You would not have me refuse a cup and a loaf to any wayfarer. Surely, he is very comely and courteous. He sneered. You acknowledged it yourself. I did not," she cried angrily. He ignored the contradiction. How long ago was it, my daughter, that he went by? He asked with a smoothness in which I discerned danger. An hour, perhaps, Father Lagarne. She answered frankly and without hesitation. There was a pause, to me full of significance. Mary Lafleur, he said, drawing out each syllable. You have lied to me. The suddenness of the accusation confused her. What do you mean? She gasped. The milk is not yet dry on the edge of the bowl where he drank. Went on those eight syllables. I command you, tell me at once where he is. You dare not defy me, Mary. I dare. She flashed, but with a sob of fear in her throat. Thing. Think just a little, my daughter," he continued, his voice sweetening to the note of utmost menace. She burst into tears. "Oh no, it is true, I dare not," she cried, anger and fear contending in her words. "I do fear you. Oh, I hate you. 
But I fear you. I will tell you everything. She stopped, as if the words choked in her throat. Would she then betray me? My heart sank, not with fear, but with an anguish of disappointment. I could not dream of her a traitor, but I set my teeth and thought of a good fight to be fought within the next two minutes. End of section 7